A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. We'll pause as Michael comes up. He has made it very exciting tonight with the Barons leading 5-1. Two of his first three at-bats were near homers. He takes a strike across the middle of the plate. A terrific play by the starting pitcher Gary Wilson back in the second took a hit away. And he skied deep to left center when he hit the ball to the warning track. That was in the fourth. And then in the sixth, Jordan pulled the ball a little bit more. Missed by two feet. Fly ball deep to left again. Ratliff going back at the warning track. Look it up. It is Gonzo Jordan. He's done it. Then you are in Australia right now. You're talking NBA basketball. You're talking great teams. You're talking great individual players. Takes it off, and there's number 23, and of course, Johnny goes nuts. So we're all getting first bumps thinking about it now. I just tried to go out there and play my game. I have no idea what you're talking about, Adam. I don't like anybody. I'm not a people person. Strand, you made the pass. Yes. Christian, can you catch the ball? Yes. All the stars were aligned, and all the muscles fired at the right time, and I was able to get off the ground and throw one down. I was saving that as a surprise for you. And now, introducing your host for In All Airness, Adam Ryan. Welcome to episode 105. Thanks for joining me. Today, another in my series of bonus shows devoted to the Last Dance docuseries. My guest is longtime radio broadcaster for the Birmingham Barons, Kurt Bloom. This is a special episode as it's the first devoted purely to Michael Jordan's baseball career. The conversation was recorded after episode 8 of The Last Dance had aired. Kurt talks about first hearing news that MJ could be headed to Alabama, how Jordan adjusted to life as a double-A baseballer, his interactions, and later a special one-on-one interview with Michael and more. Kurt gave me the thumbs up to include audio snippets of some iconic calls he made of various MJ milestones as a Barons player, all unheard for over 25 years. So listen out for those. They are absolutely golden. I'm excited to share this conversation with you and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did researching and then recording it. Head to kurtbloom.com, C-U-R-T-B-L-O-O-M, and click on the Jordan tab to access the full radio calls that have been excerpted in this conversation. Towards the end of the episode, I'll share another great podcast review. If you can spare a moment or two, please add your review via your listening app. It would be most appreciated. Show notes for this episode and access to a huge archive of past episodes are available at inallairness.com. Now, on to the show. My guest today is entering his 29th season in the Birmingham Barons radio booth and 33rd overall in broadcasting. He was inducted into the Barons Hall of Fame in 2013. Kurt Bloom, thanks for joining me. Man, thanks for having me. This is really exciting. I thought I was a big shot when I got on 
Toronto twice, you know, up in Canada, but now I'm across the world. So <laughs> something's happening, man. This Michael Jordan character, he's done a lot for us, no doubt. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on the show. And how's the media requests been in the last few weeks on the back of this Last Dance docuseries and, of course, your involvement with the Barons going back decades? I think I'm at 13. I have covered all the beautiful and big cities in the United States, uh, St. Louis, Chicago, San Diego a couple of times, Detroit. And um, look, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, Adam, and, and you better enjoy it. And, and I am. If I had my notes, with, well, in fact, I do, and we're on podcast. I'm not sure if you can see this. Let me see if I can get a camera in there. But I had to have notes to write down where I was going and who needed me. And see, <laughs> yesterday was seven of them. So wow, it was challenging. But look, no one shed a tear. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. 26 years later, Michael Jordan has inflated all of us again. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a thrill to have you on and just talk about this. So thanks for making time to, to speak with some guy in Australia. In late March of 1994, the Chicago White Sox assigned a 31-year-old rookie to AA affiliate Birmingham Barons. Uh, the rookie just happened to be the greatest basketball player on the planet, Michael Jordan. Uh, you were also 31 years old at the time, if I'm not mistaken, in 1994. When do you recall first hearing reports that there was a possibility that Jordan could end up in Birmingham? I say you have to censor it. And, and although we're on, on a podcast type Zoomcast, so you don't have to censor anything, but <laughs> I was in total shock and total disbelief. Just said to myself a hundred times, this is not going to happen. Uh, arguably the world's greatest athlete, but no argument about being the world's greatest basketball player. He's not going to get on a plane after this incredible NBA career and not only go to Birmingham, but we're in a suburb. Um, we played back then 25 miles south of where we are now a little beautiful, sleepy town called Hoover, Alabama. And I just didn't think it was all possible. And it took really until his first press conference, and we kind of exchanged in our banquet room area because he had a media conference for everybody in Birmingham. And uh, that was the first time, and I, I guess it's on, but I will tell you this, for at least the first three months, I thought I would wake up every day and it would be like, he's gone. And he's going back to the NBA. But like so many other things, he proved me and a whole lot of other people wrong. Mm, just a, a staggering story in itself, the fact that he ended up where he did. And, and you were right there in the midst of all of this happening. Recently, through your website, and I'll include these in the show notes to our chat, you've shared some iconic radio calls that you made throughout the progression of Jordan's season with the Barons. Um, how much fun was it for you to locate those memories and bring them back out of storage after so long and to hear you reacting again at the time to things that were happening right there and then? Well, it's an interesting answer because if it wasn't for this worldwide pandemic, I'm not sure you and I would be talking right now. Okay. First thing is you got a lot of time, okay, because you know we're not doing our normal jobs. So in cleaning up and I'm looking at that box of cassettes and I'm thinking, hmm, but I got to push from two of my former media relations directors. We have guys that when I do the radio and play-by-play, -play, they are in charge of setting up interviews, writing the stories, logging stuff to the website and things like that. And they were pushing me and they said, hey, they're moving up the last dance. If you're ever going to do a website and you're ever going to do anything, now's the time. I was slightly cautious because I want to make sure, again, you have to do things for a reason. You don't wake up and go, here's KurtBloom.com. Okay, please listen, because I've already done that for a long time to try to 
whether get an NBA job or mostly an, an MLB job. So there was nothing new until the Jordan stuff. And I got a funny little visual and another story to tell you about that. You probably have no idea what a cassette is, but everything we did back in 94 is and was on cassette, okay, which are now, it's like a dinosaur. They, they don't <laughs> exist anymore. So then the problem was, how do you get it from cassette to audacity on your computer and then out to the audience? So just stay right there. And I'm going to give you a quick demonstration because I, I should have it within striking distance. Awesome. Please do. I'm going to show, first of all, this, I'm not going to get real close <laughs> on it because this is just music. This is not the Jordan. The Jordan stuff is right there, but. Spando Ballet. Have you ever seen one of these before? I'm 45 in June, so I, I'm familiar with uh, audio cassettes. Yeah. So you read the Spando Ballet? Right, right, right. Okay, we can go to the cars on the other side of the cars. Okay. <laughs> All my Jordan stuff was on this thing right here. So I got, there it is, one of these. Okay, go to Amazon, and it converts it with a USB. So that was amazing to be able to get all my stuff from cassette to here and then take the thumb drive, we call it here, jump drive, and then get that working. That project itself was so much fun to relive that first at bat, the first base hit, the first home run, all of that. There's a part of intimidation because, first of all, if your house burns down, you're the only guy alive that has that stuff. Um, that year, Michael did not grant any one-on-ones except people that covered him, the NBA beat writers, and me in August. That's the proof. I need to point out, I had good people and good mentors helping me along the way, knowing how to navigate through that season. Great information that you shared there. Thank you. And it's fascinating to hear and to see just those visuals there of the audio cassette and how you got it to be digital. You didn't expect the visual part of this uh, Zoom. I know you didn't. No, absolutely not. I, I love it though. It's fantastic. That's <laughs> great. And the quality of them is fantastic because I listened to those clips ahead of our chat today and you're instantly transported back to those moments in time where you're making the call and there's hardly any tape hiss or anything. So the quality of the recordings were obviously very good. They're your own personal recordings or they were the Barons? Well, no, it's, it was mine because today, I mean, uh, if we were playing, I'd be running quote unquote tape. It belongs to me. I've been asked that a few times. And I think that gray area stays on my side as long as I'm not trying to make money out of it, the monetary value of it. So I looked into that. My media people that are smarter than me said, hey, as long as you're not trying to make any money, they belong to you. Mm, that's awesome. Let me show you the real, just having fun with it. TDK, you might remember that. Yeah, I do remember them, yeah. BASF and TDK were some of the tapes I used back in the day. This is all the George. This is 1994 right here. Oh, man. <laughs> if this thing leaves my possession, I'll probably you know, be handcuffed to it. <laughs> uh, now, clearly at the time, the crowd numbers rocketed. Uh, as per the Barons website, Almost 500,000 fans attended home games in that single season. And if you include the road attendances as well, it was almost 1 million people, which is just unbelievable. Um, a couple of quick stats for context for those that don't know the whole history of Jordan with Birmingham. He averaged uh, 202, uh, had three home runs, 51 runners batted in, and he had an impressive 30 stolen bases as a Barons player. Uh, in your opinion, what was the most impressive accomplishment from MJ's time spent in Birmingham, Kurt? The three home runs. If your worldwide audience has a chance, 
please go take a look at Hoover Met and look how big it is and how cavernous it is. And I look back at the batting average is something that really didn't matter to me. It was the quality of his at-bats. How much better did he get? The stolen bases, well, the guy's got a lot of speed and he's a great athlete. He played the outfield well, but it was the home runs. And that was something later on, you go back and you research and you listen to my interview. We talked after his home runs. And that was something that he really wanted. And I didn't think that that would be possible because our ballpark is so big, hard to hit home runs. And so in typical Michael Jordan fashion, he hit three. There is footage of that, which does uh, appear in The Last Dance and also Jordan Rides the Bus, which I'll ask you a little bit about shortly. Um, Episode 7 of The Last Dance details, obviously, the tragic murder of Michael's father, James, uh, MJ's 93 NBA retirement, and then signing with the, the White Sox and later being assigned to the Barons. As we record this in 2020, it's 10 years since ESPN's 30 for 30, Jordan Rides the Bus, and that chronicled MJ's decision to rekindle, I guess, his childhood love for baseball. In your view, uh, how accurately did ESPN cover Jordan's time in Alabama in the 30 for 30, and also most recently in the last few days when it aired as part of The Last Dance? That's a good question, and and the way I'd look at it is this. 30 for 30 was strictly Hollywood. Remember that. And the reason I say that, and gosh, I hope no one's going to get offended and get upset, but Michael was never in it. When you see anything that resembled Jordan, that was a fake Jordan, okay? And it was because Michael, again, is very guarded about everything that he does, his brand. He was not ready to tell his story. Um, That was accurate with some inflation to it, okay? I mean, there were scenes of us on the bus, and there were scenes of us locker room and traveling and all that, which was obviously very accurate. Um, But when you saw him, it wasn't him. The people who put the 30 for 30 together, in our case, Ron Shelton, who did Bull Durham and Tin Cup, they had a budget, they had a time frame, and it was like, go. So he didn't have a whole lot, you know, to work with and make this production of what's going on. The Last Dance is incredible. And here's the thing that we have been talking about a lot, and I like to use that word we instead of me. It is Something that our staff saw for 150 straight days, now the rest of the world is getting to see a stripped-down version. We got to see the intensity, the work ethic. We got to see how incredibly talented this person was on the field, off the field. He tried to ingrain himself into his teammates for the Birmingham Barons and as well as for any opposing player. Um, He never said no to autographs, never said no to pictures, never said no to anything. He just wanted to be Michael Jordan, the right fielder. He didn't want to be MJ, didn't want to be Ayer, didn't want to be anybody but a guy who fit in. And that was very accurately portrayed on The Last Dance. And, and, And I tell you, so far, the scene for me, the one scene that just is a snapshot and captures everything is he's on the couch with a cigar at the end of six, I think it was. He's telling you he's burnt out. He's done. And he's telling you what we saw, what we knew. You and I can go to our grocery store and you and I can go to a movie. You and I can go to a game. But he can't do any of those things. He's Michael Jordan. And that was portrayed extremely well. This has been nothing nothing short of brilliance. In the top of the third, a run home. 3 nothing Chattanooga history when we come back. Back at the Met, just listen for a moment. You know who's up. Matter of fact, uh, I would expect that the fans will soon stand. 
let's check the clocks at 7.58 Central Time. Birmingham, Alabama, here he is. Right fielder, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Let's listen for a moment. He has been called perhaps the greatest basketball player ever. And in just a moment, he will now be the Birmingham Barons right fielder. John Courtright will face Jordan. He's 6'6", 205 pounds. The first pitch is up high. One ball and no strikes as Jordan steps out of the batter's box. Now, I'm not a huge what-if scenario guy, but that said, in an alternate reality where baseball doesn't have the strike action that took place and, and Jordan doesn't return to the NBA in 1995, uh, what would Jordan have needed to have done to possibly earn a call-up to play in the major leagues? What, what do you think was necessary uh, as his game was progressing? Well, Adam, first of all, I am a what-if guy. <laughs> as a broadcaster, if I play guy. And then in sales, you always project the what-if. We call it, in fact, the what-if game. That said, I'm going to tell you exactly what would have happened. Right. In 1995, remember, he did go to spring training, but as you accurately said, baseball was in a lockout situation. So there was nowhere for him to go. So if the game had still been on, he would have went to Nashville, which is the White Sox AAA at that time. I think he would have been there for a couple of months. And then sometime in the summer, June, July, August, pick a date, the White Sox would have called him up and he would have been the fourth or fifth outfielder for the rest of the year. I stand by that. Um, we kind of all knew that years ago. And more important than hearing that from Kurt Bloom is to hear that from Terry Francona and Mike Barnett, the manager and the hitting instructor. They say the exact same thing and they feel the same way that I do. They've got more credibility and, and a bigger resume and a better resume than I do as a broadcaster, but I've been watching the game for a long time and analyze it and study it because it's my passion. And um, I have no doubt what would have happened. Nashville and Chicago. Ryan Kaufman, a very Bottom of the third inning and uh, something that has uh, happened for the last three days. As soon as Michael Jordan comes out of the dugout, the crowd erupts into a Huge round of applause, and it's no different right here. Almost as if the crowd appreciates his tremendous effort, his dedication, and his appreciation to the grand old game of baseball. Right now, Michael looking for his first professional base hit. 0 for 7 as a Baron. Joe Gannot pitches and comes inside, and Jordan backs away from the plate. Jordan is six foot six, 205 pounds. He played high school baseball in North Carolina at Laney High. Michael is from Wilmington. Outfield to the right. Lots of room in left center field for Jordan. The windup and the 1 0 pitch. He swings and lines it towards center field. In comes Butler. Base hit, Michael Jordan. Now, I've listened to some of the recent conversations you've had in those media appearances around the States and in, in Canada, I guess. You were talking about some of the well-known identities who have attended the Barons games, particularly during that 1994 campaign, uh, including guys like Charles Barkley, uh, Charles Oakley. You mentioned uh, MJ's teammate at UNC, Buzz Peterson. Kenny Rogers, yeah. I think you said, was actually a, an attendee at one of the games. Um, how surreal was it for you to see this regular stream of identities arriving to watch games that the Barons were playing at that time? 
Yeah, it was like a parade, you know, just <laughs> bring them in, bring them out, bring them in. Hey, the more they brought in, the better my chances of getting a pretty good guest on for the broadcast. And, and the parents <laughs> were not very good that year, which bothered Michael, by the way. But we were entertaining, obviously. What happens early, there's no doubt, April, May, June, you wake up, your eyes are that big. You can't wait to get to the ballpark because the buzz was already beginning that year. Um, it didn't matter. The score didn't matter. The only guy that knew the score of every game was me. Were you going to run into Cornelius Bennett, a legend in Alabama football, uh, as you mentioned, Barkley, um, pro golfer Chichi Rodriguez, who had a wonderful career on the PGA Tour. I'm a hockey fan, and there was a Hall of Famer by the name of Chris Chelios, who was very close with uh, Michael, played long time with the Blackhawks and the Detroit Red Wings. So um, on a daily basis, it was just, it was nonstop. The ones we just talked about are the ones that we remember, but there were plenty more that either didn't identify themselves or, you know, there's just, just weren't enough room in my mind to just, you know, go, oh, yeah, that one. And now, you know, I didn't make a list or anything <laughs> like that. But uh, we certainly took advantage of it as much as we possibly could um, coming upstairs and, and doing interviews and having these people come in for an inning to talk about uh, their relationship and their friendship. You're not microphone shy. No, wait a minute, Charles. You can do a little bit better than that. Take that off. I don't want to touch your head now. That's, that's not polite. Do that. We'll get you rolling here. How you doing, CB? I'm doing good. How you doing? You're right. You're not good enough to touch my head. <laughs> we saw you relaxing in the sweet area there, and you look rather comfortable. I could get used to this lifestyle. Well, your, your buddy is trying to get used to it there. For the last two months, Nunez takes outside. Let me ask you a question. Has it been a fun night so far watching Michael try to play baseball? It's been fun for me because, uh, number one, I thought uh, he's having fun, and that's all that really matters. Obviously, he'd like to be hitting better, but the most important thing as a friend of his, I just wanted to make sure he enjoys life. He deserves it. You know, Charles, when we get on the field and you can look into his eyes and he's not bothered by fans, media, or attention, he really is having a blast. Nunez swings and sends one into right field to base it. You can look into a person's eyes and see how they're feeling and what they're all about. And he really, you know, you know, it's amazing. I talked to him quite a bit, and you're right about that. He really is having a good time. I mean, no, no question. He wants to be playing better. I mean, he thinks he's playing well, except his average. But he is having a great time, and. I think, you know, everybody asks me because they know how close we are. Is he coming back to the NBA? Number one, he's not coming back to the NBA. But I think that's so selfish on their part because he's given them so many memories. He's done everything he wanted to do as a basketball player. So they should let him do what he wants to do, and he's happy right now. The other thing is, you know, when you study your craft, um, part of our world is also uh, newspaper writers. And that was big. Remember, there wasn't a whole lot of Internet and cell phone. So these newspaper writers, they were giants. And the biggest newspapers in the United States, all the NBA teams, they had sent their beat writers down. So that was really a lot of fun because I had read them. Um, Mike Lupica from the New York Daily News, Peter Vesey from New York, San Francisco, Detroit, Chicago, Jackie McMullen. If you're watching your ESPN, she's on there every night. She was from the Boston Globe. So and that was something that, again, it, that, that was just a bonus, you know, being a part of that. I guess July, August comes around and you're just like, you know, whatever. Um, who's here tonight? All right, we'll figure it out. You never know. <laughs> I stopped thinking about it because it was probably going to happen anyways. Another guy that I completely forget about is Tom Brokaw, obviously an incredible news reporter. 
He came down to Birmingham, did he? He came down to actually met us in Chattanooga and had, again, a relationship with Michael, probably because of the Today Show or something along those lines. And he got a few minutes, Michael and Tom sat down. I remember watching that. And I went up to Brokaw afterwards, and he did what we call a minor, which means he said, what a great voice. This is Tom Brokaw. You're listening to Kurt Bloom on WAPI. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty good stuff. I think he was actually uh, at the 1993 announcement when Jordan retired. He was uh, anchoring a show from that day. Right, yeah. Uh, now, you talked about that intimate sort of one-on-one chat that you had with Jordan, the only conversation that he uh, granted during his time in Birmingham. What do you remember about the lead-up to that chat, how it came to be, how you earned his trust? It starts one word, and that's with trust. If you don't have that or you break that, you're finished, and I don't care if you're the greatest Australian basketball player um, or the greatest Australian rugby player uh, or you're Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or anybody else, you've got to earn trust. And that was something that Terry Francona, Tito, sat down with me and something that Bill Hardikoff, my president and general manager, we sat down, both of us, um, and we talked about both of those groups, people. And basically for me, it was stay out of the way. Observe, talk about it during the broadcast, but don't get in the way for the first three months because there are people coming literally, again, from all over the world. Um, I knew at some point, I mean, I obviously had to do it, And then you're kind of gambling on yourself. What if he left and you didn't get an interview? You know, he got hurt and he he was out. You didn't get an interview. So I was kind of gambling on myself. But uh, that being said, I took a long, long look around and a very, very deep breath. And I said, okay, you know, it was August. And so that means we only have about six weeks left to go. And I said, finally, this thing has gotten to a point where we can control it. And so I started getting closer to him and saying, hey, you know, next week, it's, it's just me and you. I think we've gotten everybody taken care of. One day, he grabbed the radios. We have walkie-talkie radios. He took the Baron's radio and he said, CB, come on down. And I will tell you this. I haven't written questions down since that interview, but you better believe those questions were well-prepared and well-rehearsed. Um, sweat pouring down my paper. I wish I had those notes because it really got soggy and nasty. (laughs) And I knew this is it. You cannot fail. I checked the batteries five times. I checked the recording and you've been there before. You know, is this working? Hello, one, two, test, one, two, test, one, two. You play it back, play it back, play it back, play it back, you know. And I built that trust. So we got a great interview out of it. And let me try to finish this story because there's no story that's short with me. Recently, I have been in touch with a guy who got a lot of airtime during uh, Seven, and that was George Kohler. George is Michael's best friend for life, and he's a very important figure. I recently talked with him, and he confirmed what I could only have hoped, and it took 26 years to confirm this, and that's that we, we all, we gained his trust. Because he, he flat out asked me uh, about a week ago as we're – recording this and, and doing this video, he said to me, CB, he goes, why do you think you got that interview? And I said, I, I hope because I earned it. And he said, yeah, that's the way it was. So I look back on it, zero regrets. I know a lot of other broadcasters will say, well, why didn't you have him every week, every month, the Michael Jordan reporter? That's not how you go about and do it. You know, you don't. Believe me, I'm in that locker room for a long time. You don't do it. And so we didn't. Welcome back, my guest, Michael Jordan. 
home runs. I want to talk about it a little bit. It, it's got to be the culmination of all your hard work. I mean, you knew you'd get base hits. You knew you'd hit average, steal bases, run the outfield. Did you figure at this point you'd have a chance to hit not one, not two, three, and maybe more home runs? Well, I wanted to just hit one. I think that, that was my main goal is to get a feeling of hitting a single, double, triple, and then a home run. I think with any athlete, when you try to do something, you don't really have a good sense of what you're trying to achieve until you actually do it. And once you have done it once, then you know the hard work, you know the level, you know the stages of, of getting to that point. And I think hitting home runs, now I know what it feels like to make solid contact and knock it out of the park. So, you know, it makes me concentrate on my fundamentals even greater so that, you know, it can happen more often. And again... We'll pause as Michael comes up. He has made it very exciting tonight with the Barons leading 5-1. Jordan steps in for the fourth time. Two of his first three at-bats were near homers. He takes a strike across the middle of the plate. A terrific play by the starting pitcher Gary Wilson back in the second took a hit away. And he skied deep to left center when he hit the ball to the warning track. And that was in the fourth. And then in the sixth, Jordan pulled the ball a little bit more. Missed by two feet. Fly ball deep to left again. Ratliff going back at the warning track. Look it up. It is Gonzo Jordan. He's done it. I wrote down four words. These are words that I'll use when I talk about you. Trust, focus, energy, and pride. I think the most important one, without a question, is trust. What is Michael Jordan's definition of trust? Well, I mean, this is, you know, with, with my lifestyle, I mean, trust is probably one of the most crucial things that I have to deal with day in and day out. And you don't really know if people like you for who you are or, you know, really do things for, for the sake of doing them or just you know, trying to get closer to you. So trust is everything to me, and uh, and it comes over time. It, it isn't something that just happens overnight. I think you have to do it over time, and, and uh, once you get that trust level, then, you know, you feel better about, you know, the, the whole situation of who you're trusting. There will come a time soon that my wife and my little daughter, Chloe, will be in Chicago. We'll look up your restaurant. I'm going to order the heck out of anything on there. Are you going to pick up the tab? Uh, no. <laughs> Business and friends don't mix. <laughs> Michael, as I close, I just wanted to say that I hope certainly uh, you've enjoyed your stay here and that uh, I've been able to be somebody perhaps down the line you can trust. Thanks for your time. No problem. We'll be back with more right after this. Researching for our chat today, I did see a terrific photo of you, your wife, Laura, and newborn daughter at the time, Chloe who's being held by none other than Michael Jordan, who's uh, decked out in his Barons uniform. It's a terrific photo. Um, how did that amazing keepsake come to be? I'm glad you asked. And here's how that happened. Day one, when he arrived, our boss, our general manager, our president, Bill Hardikoff, said, no autographs, no pictures. If I catch you, it'll be the last thing that you do as a member of the Barons front office. As a radio guy and as a member of the media, I knew anyway my boundaries. Um, so I was, you know, never going to take advantage of that. So here it was again in August, late August, and Michael had built a really good rapport with my boss. 
And he said to him, he said, Bill, said, your staff has really, really been good. They've never bothered me. They didn't break any of the rules. Is there anything that I could do? And Bill said, well, Mike, if it doesn't bother you, would you mind taking a picture and then maybe signing a ball for everybody? He said, done. So about two days later, he came upstairs to our banquet room. Um, I only wished that he, he was wearing sleeves. As you notice, it's a sleeveless shirt, you know, and I get a little intimidated when Michael Jordan is, you know, guns <laughs> out. So anyways... Every member of the Barron's front office, GM, assistant GM, radio broadcaster, group sales, if you had a title, a full-time job, and your immediate family, you better have been there. You know, whatever Laura was doing at that time, stop. We brought, obviously, the baby with us. Chloe was two weeks old. And so we got that picture. There were three of us, me, Laura, and Chloe. And so we got three balls. One of them immediately went to my mom, who's still alive, and she's in North Carolina. One is there, and the other one is right over there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Don't break into my house. I'll be tempted, but I won't do it. Uh, you mentioned North Carolina there. You actually shared a couple of other correlations with Jordan. You're very similar age. You earned a degree from UNC Greensboro, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and he went to, obviously, University of North Carolina. Um, where were you actually when Jordan hit the shot when he was with North Carolina as a freshman? Well, first of all, Michael and I, we were born exactly eight days apart, if you can believe that. It's part of a great story. (laughs) Uh, I was born on February 9th of 63, and he was born on February 17th of 63. Wow. We were the exact same age, separated by eight days. My campus, UNC Greensboro, is approximately 50 minutes from Chapel Hill. From our campus and our dorms, we're watching. He hits the shot. Game's over, and about 60% of our campus went zooming down the highway to get on their campus and partied into the night, things that you can and cannot remember. Really one of the wildest, most vivid scenes I've ever, ever experienced to see fire and people hanging from trees and all of that. (laughs) He'll say in the interview that we do, remember, he talks about that's when he went from Mike to Michael and from Michael to MJ, that shot did everything. So again, the answer is I'm only 50 miles away when he hit the shot from his campus. Now, of course, the game wasn't played on campus, but we all ran down. I remember a bunch of friends, every car was leaving our campus going down to theirs and we were going to make sure (laughs) that we helped them celebrate. Thank you so much for making time to chat with me today, Kurt. Uh, Is there anything else you wanted to discuss from your time covering Jordan and that one particular season that we haven't mentioned at this stage? Well, for me personally, I was blessed and, and I didn't do anything. I didn't apply. I was already there. It's important to let people know that it was my third year with the Barons and I think it was my fifth year overall in broadcasting. So I had a little experience under my belt. It would have been overwhelming and intimidating either my first year in AA, my first year with the Barons, my first year at the ballpark, but it wasn't. And it was also not my first year with Francona. We had been together and he won a championship for us in 93. The next thing is, I've said this to everybody, um, especially the last two weeks and in particular last 48 hours. I'm a play-by-play guy and I broadcast and my work is when there's a game in front of me. But for people like you putting on a podcast and a Zoomcast and all the talk show hosts in your beautiful country and in my country, They right now are the unsung part of this pandemic because you're grinding every day and putting content together when there's nothing else to talk about. 
And I wanted to thank you for this opportunity and make sure you know how much I appreciate what you're doing. I go to work when there's a game. If there's no game, I don't have to worry about coming up with things in my head and contact and talking about anything. So that's it for me, man. I'm good. I'm, I'm blessed. I'm privileged. And I will say this personally again, um, I'm very impressed with your knowledge, your, your research, your background. I hope you can continue this uh, for quite some time. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much, Kurt. And uh, again, thanks for taking time to chat with me and um, hope you and your family continue to stay safe throughout these really strange and uncertain times. So uh, enjoy the rest of your evening and I hope we uh, maybe have a chance to chat again at some stage going forwards. And thanks for also uncovering that incredible audio, which uh, I'm so glad has now seen the light of day and uh, people can get to hear more widely. All right, man. Thank you. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. I welcome your interaction with the show. You can suggest topics or guests you want to hear conversations with. Send me an email. Audio clips are welcome. In all airness at gmail.com. Time now to share another great review from a fan of the show. Thanks to Matt from Keelor via Apple Podcast Australia. I'm not entirely certain, but I'm pretty sure Matt's from Keelor, a uh, suburb of Melbourne. It's titled Golden Era of Basketball, and it reads... I've gone back to 2012 and listening to every pod. Love listening to the guests from my era of basketball. Highly recommended to anyone who enjoys the history of basketball. That's very kind of you to say, Matt. You're a sucker for punishment, mate. You've gone back to 2012 to listen to close to 170 episodes. Uh, good luck on the journey, mate. Worldwide, the show now has 154 ratings on Apple Podcasts with an average of four and a half stars with 87 reviews across all providers. Thanks to your continued support. If you add a review, I'd love to read it out on a future episode. Your ratings and reviews are one of the best ways to support the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please tell your basketball-loving friends about it. As I love to say, your word-of-mouth recommendations are worth their weight in gold. Stay up to date with my podcast and subscribe to my monthly email newsletter. You'll receive exclusive details on upcoming podcast episodes, future high-profile guests to appear on the show, and more. Simply email me, inallairness at gmail.com. You can subscribe to my show in various ways. Search for In All Airness, three words, on your podcast app of choice. The show is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Android, and more. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues, inallairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at InAllAnnis. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash InAllAnnis. Join me next time for another edition of the show.